Hello and welcome to the first ever instalment of Double Disillusionists with only the Disillusionists themselves. Uh, technical considerations have meant no guest for this episode. However, Andrew P. Street is both co-host and uh, expert guest. Uh, hello, Andrew. Well, finally, finally I'm getting the recognition I deserve. Hello, yes. John. It's lovely to, to be here in uh, again in, in glorious, uh, exotic, tropical Stanmore. And, uh, and what, which bit of the world are you in at the moment? I am in Santorini, Greece, uh, on a deck of a hotel overlooking a pool. You might be able to hear uh, the waterfall that is going into the pool. You might be able it's to very hear soothing. Uh, the, the roots are playing through the PA here. And I'm looking out over some beautiful uh, Santorini sort of vineyards to a sweeping mountain up over the sparkling Aegean. So, of course, the perfect place to talk about Malcolm Turnbull and and Bill Shorten. One thing, though, Andrew, is that uh, the internet in other places around the world has made me appreciate what we have in Australia more than ever before, and the NBN is still a big part of this debate. We'll get to that in a little bit. Before that, though, despite my gallivanting around the world throughout the course of the podcast so far, we have got very big news because we are getting together in the same room with some pals to do this whole podcasting live, Andrew. This is very true. We are. We are. We are going to take take this on. Well, I was going to say on the road, but more more specifically on there is a, a road. Road. Yep. It's uh, it's Cleveland Street in Redfern. Yeah. The Giant Dwarf mm. Theatre um, podcast live recording. Uh, so far, we have locked in D Madigan from Gruen, Sean Kelly, whose piece today on the election I thought was really brilliant. Uh, he's from the Monthly, former press sec for uh, both Rudd and Gillard, both sides of the street, so to speak. Um, and of course, us, we will be there. It's only 20 bucks. Come along. You can book at giantdwarf.com.au. We also have a brand new Facebook page, Andrew, built to try and plug this and any other future gallivanting that we, we may do. And uh, this is it's, true. Just all, it's just all gathering steam, momentum, maybe even uh, rud momentum. I don't know what kind of momentum it is, but it's momentum, certainly. Look, and there is a something of an argument that is. You know, people could have said maybe you would have set these things up before you started doing a podcast, or or even at the very beginning of when you did a podcast, rather than several weeks in and just before you're doing a, a live show. Yeah. But um, you know, I think this this kind of captures the fly by the seat of the pants spirit, which very much uh, characterizes uh, the double disillusionists, yes, the yes. only podcast to decide. Yeah, sure, you're going overseas, and I've got a book to finish. But how about we do it anyway? You know, I think it's it's that that devil may care spirit that sets it's us a apart feat from, of um, procrastination. Uh, we were trying to live out the <laughs> ideas boom with this, Andrew. I think that's what this is. Um, the first podcast we ever did was on the day <laughs> on the day that I um, flew out to leave the country for seven and a half weeks in the whole length of the election campaign, and uh, we hadn't set it up for there. So really, we're nailing this whole thing. Uh, we are very well placed to criticise um, the campaign and how their preparations are going. In this episode, though, <laughs> uh, Andrew, uh, the same-sex marriage debate, they tried to put it off. The whole plebiscite policy was about not making it a campaign issue. Guess what? It's a campaign issue. Uh, Labor's Penny Wong has spoken out about the bigotry and hatred she fears will be levelled against uh, LGBTI folks uh, in the lead-up to that plebiscite. And uh, Scott Morrison's come out and said, look, I know all about prejudice because I'm against same-sex marriage and people call me a bigot. Uh, strange debate you're having in Australia a few days after the Pulse nightclub incident. We'll delve into this issue uh, because 
it's part of the campaign, despite attempts to the contrary. This is true. And, uh, I mean, it's appropriate because at the moment the scare campaigns are in full effect ah. uh, with the coalition announcing that the boats have started again with a front page Delhi Telegraph uh, splash. A, a very appropriate a bit of onomatopoeia right there uh, on the front page today. Splash. And uh, Labour are still uh, still hammering on about how the Liberals plan to gut Medicare. Gut. So really, it's coming down to the question... Which fear campaign is the fearingest? Oh, gut versus butts. Uh, look, here in, in Greece, actually, it's worth mentioning, uh, in the week of World Refugee Day, they had took in a million people across the border from Turkey last year. Yes, one million people. Australians on this issue, I, I, I'm suspecting, may not entirely know that they're born. But we'll get onto that as well. Uh, the saga of the fake tradie, is he or isn't he? Uh, in that rather extraordinary ad, it turns out that he is not an actor, which I think we all got from the ad, but but is genuinely a, a, a metal worker from Lane Cove uh, with a fondness of, of for things like watches. Um, but there are still questions coming on from that rather extraordinary advertisement, which uh, certainly got all Australia, Australia talking, not necessarily about the problems with negative gearing. It, it really has turned into quite – it's not like stoner sloth, I feel like. It, it, it's got a life of its own that is probably going oh. to outlive – any other memory of this uh, this campaign. And, of course, we have this week's polls. And could all of this apparent non-movement be concealing the weirdest result of all? Oh, yes. Or perhaps uh, the greatest love of all? It's, it's hard to know. <laughs> it's, uh, it is a very strange place in the campaign. Anyway, let us delve into the politics. And, and look, I, th- I thought our pal Sean Kelly, who's going to be with us, as I mentioned, at the live event just to work that in, really, uh, really nailed it by saying... Malcolm Turnbull just has spent the entire campaign sort of stuck between his own backbenches and public, and um, it, it, it seems as though it's working. All he has to do is not lose, and that is a high enough mountain for him to climb. What are the polls telling us, Andrew? Well, the polls are still sitting pretty much where they have been. The, uh, the, we've had essential and news poll uh, both giving a very small lead to Labor, sort of 5149. Uh, the Fairfax Ipsos was also 5149. So it's, I mean, basically, it, they're kind of where they've always been. The thing that's sort of interesting, though, and, and this came up on on Sunday uh, on Insiders, you know, for all of the kind of the the, the easy comments about this election is going to be decided in the marginals, it doesn't look like Labor is going to pick up enough marginals to win. The actual marginal polling, uh, which isn't something that the papers do, isn't something that the big companies do unless they're very, very specifically commissioned to do that, and that only really happens internally, seems to suggest that uh, Labor are probably polling a lot better than than we currently think. And the reason for that is that the, uh, the polls tend to make these assumptions about the way that the people are likely to, to direct their preferences, yeah. and that's based on the most recent evidence, which is, of course, the 2013 election. And there's a lot of different things about this one. Palmer United are not going to be a big influence, uh, particularly in the north. Uh, Nick Xenophon team are going to be a massive, massive player, particularly in the south. And, of course, it was a historically low Labour vote anyway in 2013. So the chances are that's 
more of an outlier than you would necessarily think. So mm. it's starting to look like it could be a lot closer than anybody is predicting. And spicy. seeing the sort of spicy. Yeah, it is starting to look spicy. And and seeing the kind of hysterical use of fear campaigns on both sides would tend to suggest that, yeah, maybe maybe that's what the polling is telling them, that, that they need to get out there. Contest. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, look, exactly. this, is, this is the thing. We are in a year when polling has seemed a, a bit more hopeless than it was. Back uh, in the last presidential election, you know, it was all hail uh, Nate Silver of, of 538 who picked every single result, every state in the US election, uh, brilliantly done by him. But since then, really things have fallen apart in terms of polling. As several of the state results in Australia have defied what pollsters had to say. Uh, the, the UK, um, both general election and the Scottish the referendum, um, defied the polls. And I, I suspect Brexit's going to defi- uh, defy the polls. My uh, strong suspicion is that, again, the UK will uh, stick with the status quo, which is what people often do. But in Australia, what we've seen in the in, in the states and well, as they've we've done said that before, literally with status quo as well. Yeah, <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, the 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 thing is, we even though we know there are different factors in in those state races, the pollsters didn't pick up the swing, and all that matters. D. Madigan told us very wisely, all that does matter, and there's some sort of a siren behind me. Who knows what's disturbing the peace here in Santorini? Probably refugees. Um, the the problem is pollsters don't seem to be focusing in on the places where the election's decided. It doesn't really matter what the national swing is. Just ask Kim Beasley, who won, of course, in 1998, the overall two-party preferred vote and yet lost the election. So uh, we need to, we need those polls. And frankly, why aren't we getting them, Andrew? You work for Fairfax. Come on, give them a bit of a rocket. Uh, look, I, I think the answer is is money. I think the answer is that getting that kind of detail is extremely expensive because you need to uh, focus in on a very limited geographical area and you've also got to get people on the phone for a, a fairly long time because you need to ask them what their preferences are going to be. Because, you know, as, as I said, the the evidence from previous elections is not necessarily the most reliable guide, although it is, when you're talking at a macro level, the best guide that you're going to get. So yeah, I think it's really just down to that, and the um, the poll, which is why the polling that has been done has all been done internally, and it's sort of just a matter of you know quiet leaks here or there, suggesting that maybe Labor are doing better, or maybe this this race is closer than you think in this in this electorate, and mm. like it sort of it so it almost comes down to the only way you can tell necessarily is by watching the reaction of the MPs. I mean, when you see sort of Kelly O'Dwyer suddenly get a lot more prominent uh, at around about the same time that it suggests that her primary vote has slipped below 50%, you can kind of go like, okay, that's probably, you know, th- there's probably some truth to this rumour. Mm, um, in, in the Melbourne seat of Higgins, people could be, uh, looking for third-party options, and I suppose the Greens may even be a, a player in there. It is very interesting because neither party really has a compelling narrative. I, As I said before, Andrew, I think both, uh, and this certainly hasn't always been the case, both parties are offering broad competence. I don't think Bill Short nor Malcolm Turnbull would be <laughs> a terrible Prime Minister. I don't think there's anything really to worry about in terms of radical shifts of where Australia might go. We're not going to see a 2014 budget from either party. They've both been burnt. And we are coming down to, uh, as, as Sean Kelly uh, pointed to, 
once again in the monthly. What's the election about? What are we actually thinking about when we go to the polls? Um, uh, is it pretty simply leave this mob in for a bit longer? Malcolm Turnbull's started saying, guys, look, um, what I'm asking for is another three years just to try and get it together. And this comes down to this slowly forming piece in my head that Turnbull's campaign is cleverer than it looks because it is still about potential. It's still about, you know what, I could probably be a pretty decent prime minister if I were able, if, if my uh, if my backbench were put back in their place. And a lot of his campaign has, I think, been about silencing the dissent within and, and Tony Abbott popping up again. And just to remind us of, of how real a threat <laughs> that is, I think Malcolm Turnbull's probably run a smarter campaign than he's given credit for. And if a lot of people are a bit underwhelmed but still think he'd do an okay job, that's probably not such a bad thing to hope for. Bill Shorten's also run clearly a very strong campaign. And if you care about uh, the sort of health and education pitch that he has, if that's the main factor for you, then you're going to vote Labor. And that's what they've come back to. It's been a real heartland pitch for them as against the let's just keep things the way they are from Malcolm Turnbull and co. Is that that fair? I I think so. Although it's one of the things I think really bears that out, the the idea that that Turnbull is kind of – you know, running on a, well, look, give me another three years and let's reassess and kind of platform is the way that so many of the kind of the, the, the issues that were much more core to the, uh, to the coalition campaign at the beginning have just kind of fallen away. I mean, leaving aside the fact that nobody has mentioned the ABWC, which is ostensibly oh. the, you know, the, the reason why we had to have a double dissolution. Let's not forget the letter to the Governor-General. Go back and look at that about the urgency of, of bringing in the ABCC legislation. It can't wait, people. <laughs> we must have the cop on the, on the workplace beat. Uh, and maybe the ABCC will have the power to, to put in Rolex wearing tradies on building sites. Well, look, I've got to say, if there's going to be a cop on the beat, then they're going to, you know, the, the, the tradie ad has raised so many questions. Like, why are they using ceramic mugs on a work site? That's, that's just bad work sitesmanship right there. That's what they tell but, me. Um, but, but also, like, I mean, the company tax cut, which was so, you know, central. This was this was as close as the, the Turnbull camp have come to an actual policy is to say, you know, we need to, to cut company tax in order mm. to stimulate it, jobs and growth, jobs and growth, jobs and growth. And Sorry, even was that that's again? kind of uh, uh, something about, uh, I think jobs and growth, he's a, he's a Welsh actor. Yeah. The, um, there's a, uh, but the, the whole, uh, Oh God, sorry. I just totally lost my thread on that terrible joke. Um, but yeah, the, but the, the company tax cut, he's even kind of walking that back a little bit. You know, the, the whole argument's been like, well, it's not really going to kick in for another four <laughs> years. So if yeah. after three years you don't you don't like me, then you don't even have to worry about it. It's getting down to the fundamentals. Look, we offer, we're offering you me. That's what it is. It's basically you get me. Um, with I've got a bunch of stuff here that I'm happy to talk about. Uh, I'm not necessarily going to sound all that convinced about it. Uh, and but you get me, and we, we all know I'd probably be pretty good. Uh, we all know that the people I work with, some of them probably I don't like for, uh, to the same degree that you don't. But but you get me, and and that can work. And I was just sort of thinking about this because his backbench, he's going to always backbench nothing. We've had Corey Bernardi calling him, I think, a liar. Yeah, today uh, in the past twenty four hours or so, and he and his his ilk. Kevin Andrews has been popping up and making things difficult every couple of days as well. He's a minister. He, he won't owe them a thing. If he can win this thing, 
the first cabinet reshuffle, they are all outski, really. All the thought that Tony Abbott's going to have to be brought back in, which is one of Kevin Andrews' uh, timeless contributions, that's not going to wash at all. If Malcolm Turnbull wins this thing, I really do believe we're going to see what he wants, his way of doing things. And as long as he has 52 or 53% of of, of his party room, he's just going to go for it, I reckon. Why wouldn't he? They've done nothing for him. Well, that's the thing. Like, I, I don't know that it's going to be like, – it, it, there are so many people who have said exactly this, the, this, this idea that if he can get in, if he can win, win from here, then, you know, he, he'll have the, the necessary, you know, internal mandate, if not necessarily an electoral We believe one. in future Malcolm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I – like, I still really struggle to see that, but mainly because – his most vocal critics, they're safe. Like, Kevin Andrews isn't going to be voted out. Uh, Cory Bernardi's second on the South Australian Senate ballot. He's safe. Erica Betts is number one on the Tasmanian Senate ballot. He's safe. So the way things are going to look once he get once, mm. assuming that the coalition are, are returned... They're probably shedding seats. You're saying they're shedding Turnbullians. Well, most of the people who threw their weight behind uh, behind Turnbull were the people who were terrified that they were going to lose their job, uh, lose, lose their seats, and they yeah. lose their jobs under Abbott. I mean, there were a lot of people like Peter Hendy, who's the uh, the MP for Eden Monaro, the the legendary bellwether seat. He was a very staunch Abbott supporter until it became clear to him that there was no way in hell that any kind of swing against the party was going to keep his seat. And then he, of course, became the the person who hosted the coup party <laughs> the <laughs> night before Turnbull's grand grasp for glory. Yes, a bit, a bit like the people who went back to Kevin Rudd um, despite having assassinated him repeatedly in the press and basically accused him of having a massive personality disorder. Self-interest is a powerful factor. Yeah, although aren't a lot of the new 30, 40-something men, and they are almost all men, Aren't most of them Turnbull supporters? Potentially, it's going to be a bit of a different, um, a bit of a different coalition after this election, regardless of uh, of whether they win or not. I suspect this is true, and they. I mean, I think by and large, the kind of the 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 younger, more small L liberal MPs are, are in there, but uh, the sort of a, a Turnbull supporters. But then, of course, the, there's a there's a fairly large rump. Uh, you might recall that there was a. A, um, a a lot of anger in the press just after Turnbull took uh, took leadership about how Scott Morrison had not rallied his block to, oh, yes. to vote Team Scomo to vote against Turnbull, and like those people are likely to sort of those people are likely to stay put. I, I read somewhere that the most effective thing. Malcolm Turnbull's done as Prime Minister is completely neutralised the threat of Scott Morrison. It seems that giving someone the Treasury portfolio, in, in certainly in the past term of the Parliament, and probably during the Swan era as well, has been completely uh, make it impossible for them to ever become leader. Um, it seems to be a beautiful way of neutralising your internal opponents, Andrew. But there's also the danger, I mean, with alienating that group, because I mean, particularly if it's going to be a, a smaller majority, that group's going to be very, very important. Mm. And one of the more influential members of, of that uh, little ScoMo rump was Stuart Robert, who was the, uh, the, the the minister who stood down after his uh, ill-fated 2014 China trip came to light. That's right. The easy or isn't he representing the Australian government to fiasco. Exactly, yeah. 
And so there's kind of the the fact that there was only, uh, I think, like 10 days in this scandal coming to light and Robert sort of falling on his sword. He was kind of the third minister to fall and the previous two had been given a lot more defence, particularly yeah. in the press. Yeah, look, as we know from New South Wales, I think, Andrew, when you get up to the multiples of ministers, it's, it gets harder and harder to defend them uh, when they <laughs> stuff up. <laughs> Well, yeah, they hadn't quite gone to the uh, to the revolving door of of New South Wales Labor. That was yeah. The uh, police have been less involved, to be fair. <laughs> not not completely absent, but no, no. This is well, certainly the uh, the the AFP report should be Oof. released very shortly, actually, into the. Right, that would be interesting. Yeah, that's going to be very very interesting into uh, into old now. So yeah, I, I think that there are kind of these weird things that are still brewing uh, in terms of you know the 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 quote unquote delusional conservatives who are going to have much more of a percentage in a returned coalition than they currently do and keeping in mind that that Turnbull only won by 10 like yeah. he, well we'll see you know it wasn't a a rousing victory so it could you know i i i've said this in another you know piece i wrote in rolling stone that that actually it could be very, very difficult for Turnbull in victory, more so than it would be in uh, in defeat at this point. It's it's a strange thing, really. It gets to the heart of what, what the Abbott government was all about because they seem to be really governing for the like-minded aspects of Australian society. And even within the coalition, there it was probably around about half of, of their colleagues under Tony Abbott and certainly, certainly not nowhere near the majority of the country. And so... One of the many reasons that they got unstuck was that they simply were on the fringe in a place where most Australians weren't. And I think Malcolm Turnbull's best chance of surviving is trying to go back to having polling numbers that are not possible to argue with. And I think the way mm. to get that is to run roughshod over uh, the more conservative of his colleagues and pitch to the majority in the centre. I, I suspect that there are more people sort of in the centre of Australian politics and there are on either wing put together. And if he can go back to charming those people, uh, as he did so successfully for a while there, he might actually do, do better than you think. Anyway, uh, this, the things we hmm. keep talking about and have talked about for years, they tried so hard to, to uh, take the uh, issue of same-sex marriage off the table under Tony Abbott. And this is one of those things where we know what Malcolm Turnbull thinks. He's made it clear what he thinks. We know that he hates the plebiscite policy and thinks it's ridiculous. Whenever a leader uh, advances a policy stance, which we know doesn't sound like they're being sincere, this happened with Julie Gillard as well with her, her claims to her what was it, her Baptist upbringing and so on, um, we, we, mm. it didn't seem right that she was, uh, you know, against legalising same-sex marriage. And, and Malcolm Temple certainly seems that way. Labor's been very keen to make it a campaign issue and we've seen the contention once more that the plebiscite will lead to an outbreak of fairly unpleasant speech. I'm not on the ground in Australia, so I don't really know what there is out there. But I know that in the past, when we've seen campaigns, I think it's fair to say that in summary, one of the one of the main arguments uh, that people use to try and ban same-sex marriage is that it's bad for kids. I think that's what is explicitly said by uh, advocates of the status quo. And I think that is an argument that is inherently going to hurt uh, people in same-sex relationships. I don't, don't see any way around that, frankly. I, I think that's simply a given. If you start telling people that they're going to hurt kids, uh, particularly when many of them already have kids, and it's merely a question of can the parents of the kids that are going to exist anyway legally get married? Is that better for the kids or should they have parents who are not allowed to marry? 
which do you think they would rather? Moral conservatives. That um, that seems <laughs> very likely to, to, to play out. I don't think I'm being at all uh, partisan if I say that that argument by its nature is upsetting to people in same-sex relationships who may have kids or want to have kids, Andrew. Uh, Penny Wong's made this very personal. Well, it's enormously insulting. Uh, yeah. Once again, as she's come out and as the, uh, the best-known member of, of uh, either side of parliament in a same-sex relationship with children, it has become personal. And Scott Morrison has responded by trying to make it personal. And again, I, I guess uh, pinning, his, uh, pinning his flag up and saying, look, um, I'm, this is where I stand. I'm, I'm on the inverted commas Christian uh, side of this. And by the way, I know a thing or two about being a victim of a bigot. How did that play, Andrew? Well... Not well, I think it's fair to say. The uh, the the hashtag scomophobia has become a uh, a high trending one in uh, in Australia. the The line has been taken up until this point. Every time the plebiscite has come up, has been the "I believe Australians are better than this. I think that they will make the right decision," and that that's been the way that Turnbull has kind of diffused the whole question every time it has been raised, and it has been raised quite a lot because obviously. As you say, people know what his position is, and it's wildly different to that of the party that he's leading. The problem with Morrison's comments to the ABC this morning was basically that he was trying to play the victim. He was kind of making the argument of like, well, you know, you've seen prejudice, I've seen prejudice, therefore this whole thing cancels out. And that would be a ridiculously disingenuous argument to make at the best of times. But coming as it does, when the funerals of those murdered in Florida are still taking place, you know, it's been 10 days since that massacre took place. It's very, very difficult to argue that there are sort of comparable levels of of prejudice and hatred and violence being uh, distributed among uh, the LGBTI community and conservative Christians in power who are in a position of being able to legislate. That's that's just a nonsense argument. Yeah, the, the, the federal treasurer is a, a strange. I mean, sure, he might be part of a, of a religious community, um, but. It's a pretty powerful position that he currently holds. It's an interesting thing. I mean, we, we could argue it'd be a bit of a tangent to go on an argument about what it's like to have different kinds of <laughs> prejudice and experience. Than, um, I, as a white man, I haven't really had many. Uh, it's, it's hard to relate. I, my, my general response <laughs> when people tell me that they're experiencing discrimination is to listen and to try and empathise. And I, I do think it's fair to say that it's a lot harder to be. Um, an evangelical Christian in our society than it than it has been ever in Australia, and I know many uh, evangelical Christians who feel very upset about this debate, and basically that simply by advocating what they think is God's truth, they are considered bigots. Um, that's th- another thing that it's kind of hard to avoid in the debate. That's how it sounds to people who don't agree with them, and um, whether or not they you give them credit for good intentions or not is is up to you, but. You know, we're going to have this argument until it's legal. We may even have it after it's legal. I'm sure Malcolm Turnbull, if he's got to do this plebiscite, wants to get it over with as quickly as possible. I imagine as soon as any new Turnbull government comes in, we'll see the policy coming very quickly. Uh, it might not allow a lot of time for the debate. And uh, 
it's hard to imagine it will be particularly edifying. Then again, has any of the campaign over the, over the past many years been edifying? It's a, is it going to get uglier than it has been? I don't know that it is actually, Andrew. It's been about as ugly as you would think already. I would, I would guess. Well, I mean, the Australian Christian Lobby did uns- unsuccessfully, to just clear, uh, did appeal to the Attorney General to uh, suspend a law against hate speech and discrimination for the duration of the site debate on the grounds that they felt that they were unable to make their case otherwise, which I got to say doesn't give me a lot of faith in the strength of their argument. It's sort of like, well, you know, we're really going to need hate speech with this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough suit to play, isn't it? I think it's, it's going to get, it's going to get very personal. It's going to get very ugly. And, and also, you know, despite Morrison's fairly blithe comments today about how, well, we're going to have a plebiscite and it's going to settle the issue. Well, it's not going to settle the issue because there's, there's been very, very little clarity about how the plebiscite is going to work. Mm. Is it going to be just a straight majority? A straight majority, but don't. Hey. Uh, whether it's going to be, you know, whether it'll be passed by a majority if, if you know, 52% of Australians or more likely somewhere in 70% of Australians vote yes, or does it have to be as with a, a, a referendum? Does it have to be a majority of Australians and a majority of states? I, I, I or, thought the answer to that was no, but let's see. I thought it was just a simple up and down vote. Well, there's you're following it more closely than I am. Well, there's also the there's also the question of the the number of of uh, coalition MPs who have made clear that they're going to vote no in Parliament, regardless. Like that that they are going to uh, either in in some cases they're saying, well, you know, we're rep- I'm representing my uh, my electorate, and so therefore, you know, I I don't have to follow. The the, uh, the the vicissitudes of the national vote. Well, Morrison made clear again that, that if if his electorate votes yes, he won't be voting yes. He will be voting no because, and again, he was sort of saying that you know, that that's the majority view of the electorate, mm. regardless of whether or not it actually is the majority view of the electorate, which puts him in the in the invidious position of arguing at the same time that he is an oppressed minority and also the voice of the majority, which I I think is you know some impressive intellectual gymnastics i'm going to say agile on that to see <laughs> how this one plays out i i if i were designing that plebiscite bill i would write it such that as soon as it were passed the attached amendments took place immediately but i don't know if that's possible i guess we'll find out when they finally bring it in if indeed they can finally andrew i want to touch a little bit on the the dueling scare campaigns and uh you said before this was a sign of the desperation that we find ourselves in at the end of the campaign, both sides in with the shot. And, and this often happens. Both sides really get a little shrill and pathetic towards the end. That's definitely the case. <laughs> the boats are back, uh, supposedly, and is this even on the whiff of a potential shortened short victory? You've written repeatedly that they've never stopped. It's just that we've called them on water matters mm. and not raised them. And Labor talking about Medicare. Now, we know that coalitions as wanted to trim Medicare but get rid of it completely seems uh, like no one would ever seriously propose that in Australian politics and they've cancelled the review of, of, of making the payment system better which certainly as someone who occasionally uses Medicare and can't believe the money doesn't just go in automatically uh, seems a shame to me really. Is there any hope of a, of a respite from this finally? I, I think this is going to be the, the tenor of the, of the argument from here on in the idea of kind of launching the, the the boats are coming back now just screams desperation because aside from anything else, 
there's no real way to argue, it, it seems to me, that this is somehow Labor's fault, given that this is happening under the coalition's watch. And that they're overwhelming favourites to get rid of yeah. mm. So it's, you know, yeah, I'd like to think that maybe the rest of the world are fascinated by the by the changing sort of fashions of, of politics in Australia, but I'm pretty sure that people smugglers are not checking the, the polling in marginal electorates and then going like, well, we should probably set sail now because, you know, if, if we if we make landfall... <laughs> Eden Monero's trending Labor. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's sort of, it's, it's disingenuous uh, campaigns on both sides, I think, at this point. I can't wait to arrive back in Australia just in time for the, the, the glorious splendour of our democracy. <laughs> In election day, I, I think a nice note to leave it on is um, Sammy Shah is a, a brilliant uh, comedian who uh, grew up in Pakistan. It's reminded us this week, I think, on Inside on SBS that getting to vote for what we want and, and people not getting blown up on a regular basis in our streets, we're actually pretty lucky in Australia. We, we, we've got a choice between two prime ministers, neither of whom is going to be an absolute oppressive disaster uh, on all appearances. We should probably be a little more appreciative of our lot, Andrew. They're trying to find a positive note in this very depressing and quite tedious campaign by this point. Uh, having the, the luxury of being bored and indifferent and angry about our, our democratic processes, a glorious luxury. It's true. And we don't all have the, the luxury of uh, flirting with electing Donald Trump, for instance. That's so true. Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Don't forget our live event, Giant Dwarf, on the 7th Please of come. July. Please come. Dee Madigan, Sean Kelly and more people to be confirmed. It will be fun. It will be political. It will be like this, only with more people. And surprises and explosions, possibly. Explosions and, and then I fight you keep promising I'm going to challenge you to one. Yes. Uh, it's going to happen soon. And the next episode of the podcast, I strongly expect we'll have a guest, internet committing. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Speak to you soon. Always a pleasure.